Ecclesiastes 12. Last chapter, probably the final thing that King Solomon writes. And he writes a whole bunch. Like we only have a little bit of his Proverbs. He wrote like 3,000, wrote a thousand songs. We only have one song. So he wrote a ton. This is probably end of his life. Last thing Solomon's going to write. And guess what the topic is? Aging, getting old. And he uses the metaphor of a crumbling condemned mansion. What a great metaphor, isn't it? Like I knew this. And so a number of years ago, I went to the dump and I was caught off guard because there was an entire house stacked up at the side of the dump. Like they just kind of broke it down. You can still see like a toilet and like sinks and like pictures on the wall still. I was like, oh my goodness. And what's amazing to me is like that home raised kids. There was someone that spent a ton of work on that home, making it a place that was nice. I, I, I doubt the builder, the family that lived in there thought, yeah, one day this will be in the dump, right? Does anyone think that about their own house? Yeah, one day this will be in the dump. Maybe one person like, yeah, I can't wait. Happy day that will be, <laughs> right? No more repairs. No, it's coming though for every single piece of property. Like at some point, <laughs> throw it away. It's coming. I mean, it's crazy, right? So that's his analogy and it's beautiful. So let's jump in. Chapter 12, verse one. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw nigh of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. <laughs> Solomon says this, there's coming a day for every one of us where you will wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I woke up. I thought last night was gonna be it. Oh, I got one more day, all right? That's coming for all of us. Why? Because you get wore down. And there's like, there's no repair to it. So I have a 1966 Volkswagen bus that I, I can't do anything about the starter. So I've had the starter re rebuilt. It didn't work. So then like, you gotta put this little relay in there because the wires go from the battery to the front and then back again. So they're too low a voltage. It doesn't hit the solenoid. Okay, do that. Nope, doesn't work. Well, you gotta take the starter out and we gotta put a different spring in there because the springs too, has too much tension on it. So it, we gotta get a, a looser spring. Okay, let's do that. Doesn't work. So I just push it now. Why? Because it's just tired. Like you're, it's just not going to be fixed anymore. It's just that simple. This is not a fixable thing. Something is wrong. It's not going to be, and that's just going to get worse and worse and worse because it's wore down, right? That's the human. Same thing. We can go to doctors and you can get a pill, and you get, but guess what? Eventually you just got to be like, nah, I'm going to have to push start this thing in the morning. Every morning I'm going to start this thing. That's what I'm doing. And notice what he says. He says they're evil days. Why does Solomon say that? Because it was never God's intention. The thing that we go through, the struggle that we have, aging, disease, and death, that was never God's plan. God's plan was life and it abundantly in his presence for eternity. That's Genesis 1 and 2, right? So evil entered and corrupted and broke the plan that God wanted for Adam and Eve. But praise him, 
He also had a plan of redemption and salvation through his son that will go back to an Eden-like place, Revelation 21 and 22, where once again, we'll have the right kind of life without death, without disease, without wearing out all the things that we have now, right? So every one of us is going to live out the dumb, stupid injuries that we had in life, right? They're gonna line up as you age and they're gonna want payment for it. Your knee, your shoulder, whatever it is, they're just gonna come back. Like people know when there's a storm, why? Because my knee locks out. Yeah, I don't need the weather channel. I got this. This tells me rain's coming, right? It's payment, it's payment. So, right, let's go. This is what he, then he just goes through and like, here's what it's gonna look like. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. You're gonna lose your eyesight, right? I'll read a book now. I'll sit and like read a book for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And then I will look up and I have a depth perception of about 18 inches. Does that happen to you? And it seems like it takes eternity for me to be able to focus out any further. Somebody could be running at me with a baseball bat and I wouldn't know it till they're 18 inches from me. I'm just blind. It feels like I'm in a dream. You know how everything's slow in a dream? It's like, mm, I'm trying to focus on my son. He's saying something like, mm, hold on, hold on. He's showing me a picture. Well, hold on. Eventually they'll get out. They'll focus out. I mean, it's insane to me. Every day is cloudy, right? Cataracts. They're coming. I have this Bible and it's uh, a Cambridge cameo I bought in 1997, wide margin. And I tried to figure out how many hours of notes I have in that Bible. It's gotta be 14, 1500 hours of notes I've taken in that Bible. And they are so small. My mom warned me. She's like, you're writing too small. You will not be able to read that. I'm like, no way, these eyes are superhuman. I will never have that problem. I cannot read it now. So I've got this Bible with all these, I'm like, and then if I try like a magnifying glass, it just gives me a headache. It's not even worth it anymore. I'm like, forget it. So all those hours of these notes, I'm like, ah, nah, it's coming for us all. Eyesight goes, right? The legs, the keepers of the house, they just start shaking. And the more you try to stop them from shaking, they shake even more, right? They just don't obey anymore. Your shoulders, right? The strong men are bent. I said this a couple months ago, like I was driving behind this guy and he was dressed kind of like current, you know? And I'm like, that's an old guy. You know how I knew it? It's my wife and I. Cause just the, the shoulders just kind of, they droop, right? It's like your shoulders at some point just say, I'm so tired of holding these arms up. I give up, forget it, right? I wish they'd just detach from me. The shoulders get bent and you just can't quite sit up straight anymore. It's crazy to me, right? The teeth, the grinders are few. No more kettle corn. You will break something. Right? You're not eating a caramel apple anymore because you'll leave your teeth in it. Ah, 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 right? It's coming. The grinders are gone. Enjoy when you're young candy and carbs because the older you get, you can't enjoy them anymore. So enjoy them when you're 20. All right. Verse four, 
Yeah, corn nuts, don't do it. <laughs> There's a lot of don't do it's anymore. And the doors on the street are shut, hearing. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up with the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. You're hearing. Your hearing gets funny, is what he says, right? You sleep, and it takes hardly anything to wake you up, right? Like, like the little thing, you're like, huh? And you wake up, but you can't hear anything. Like, what in the world is this? Who designed this system, man? It is broken. So you can't sleep well. Like I just turned 47, whatever it was, a month and a half ago. And you know what my favorite gift was? One of my daughters bought me a MyPillow. I was like, that is awesome. Like it used to be snowboards and motorcycles and chainsaws. Now I'm like a pillow, dude. I was like, can I try it out right now? Do you guys mind? <laughs> Go take a nap because I'm tired right now. That's my favorite gift. It's insane. Like I care about a mattress now. I remember at the school of ministry, living in a house, A-frame, 24 guys in the house with me. Sleeping bag, two-inch foam, bunk bed. I'd sleep like soundly. Nothing would wake me up. Now I'm like a dog's barking at Merlin. Man, be quiet, dog. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. <laughs> what in the world happened? Ha. I love this. And the daughters, their song is brought low. What this is saying is this. It's like um, a little while back, I was looking on PBS and it had a Neil Young concert on there. And so Neil Young is singing away and I kind of know his music. He can't hit the notes anymore, right? Your voice just, it doesn't hit the notes. It's just that simple. You can't hit the highs anymore. So then they bring up backup singers that they know their job is like, fill in when when he's gonna hit that, uh, you hit the high note, right? But then like, the, the camera panned out on the audience. I'm like, it's all old people. They can't hear it anyways. It doesn't matter. It's like a match made in heaven right there. He can't hit them. They can't hear him. Everyone's happy. That was such a great concert, man. Awesome. He's such a, he still got it. No, you just don't have it anymore. It's so funny. It's like perfect. Oh man. Verse five. This is like one of the most brilliant sections in the Bible, I think. <laughs> They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Fear begins to grip the heart of people as they get older, doesn't it? What's they're saying? Like terrors are in the way. Like, I can't go out there. There's terrors. I'm afraid of thrust. That's high, right? Myron, don't jump off that. That's too high. He's like, what are you talking about, man? This is not too high. You just get afraid. When you're 18, you're afraid of nothing. Do you know why? Because you haven't seen enough bad stuff happen. But when you're 80, you're afraid of everything. You know why? Because you've seen everything go south. Like, I've seen that go south before. I've watched somebody get hurt doing that. Ah. Oh. And then as you get older, what happens is we just start to slow down and then we think the world is speeding up. It's not, the world's not speeding up. We just slow down. So everything's so fast. It's like, this is so fast paced. Ah, I can't, it's so fast. Ah. So then what people do is they move out of the fast and they begin to isolate themselves and they stay inside and they watch the weather channel. 
It is the most watched cable channel. Did you know that? The most watched cable channel is the weather channel. Who's watching it? Old people, right? I think it's going to rain, Harriet. My knee's locking out and they just said it, right? (laughs) Oh, and they're afraid. Just fear of kind of anything starts to grip our hearts. Gray hair, the almond tree blossoms. And then this little phrase, the grasshopper drags itself along. It's this, it's the little decisions that you used to be able to just make quick. Like I can make a call on that, no problem. Now, because you have so much history, you kind of worry like, well, what about? We know the butterfly effect. Like this little decision can lead to that thing, can lead to that thing, can lead to that thing. I don't know what I should do. Should I go to this or that, right? And it just, it goes on and on. Buying toothpaste, should I buy this kind or that kind? Can be an hour job. Because that little decision paralyzes us. Because we know the ramifications of these little decisions are actually much bigger than, and so we can play it all out in our heads and it just paralyzes us. So it drags along, just drags out. Then desire fails. This is in the Hebrew, the capperberry fails. The capperberry in the ancient world was a aphrodisiac. So he's saying the capperberry doesn't work anymore, right? Modern translation, Viagra doesn't work anymore. All right. I think this is very interesting to me. Solomon, he can't get out of bed. He can't see. He can't hear. He's afraid of everything. And then he says, yeah, I'm not interested in the ladies anymore. I find that so interesting. Man, thousand women. And then it's the last thing that goes for him. So fascinating. I find it interesting. Maybe you don't. (laughs) before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern these are very nice ways of saying the bottom drops out of life and you fall through and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Do you remember in chapter three, he asked the question, does the spirit of man go up and the spirit of the beast go down? When he was poking? Okay, chapter 12 is his answers. He's like, no, we go back to our creator. You will stand before your creator one day. It goes back, he answers his own question. So this is just, death takes you. And it takes you in this slow, methodical process normally, unless it's cataclysmic. It's a slow, methodical process. It's most of us, death will not catch us off guard. There's signposts along the way. Now, why would God design it that way? Give you a chance to repent. I'm cons- come, I, it's not, hey, you're gonna live life like you're gonna be 100% good and then one day you just, doom, heart stops. God's saying, hey, your time's coming. Your time's coming. You can't see, you can't eat, you can't hear, you can't get out of bed, your time's coming. Repent, believe in me. It's God just giving every possibility of repentance to every single person as they walk this thing out. Yes, there's cataclysmic deaths, no doubt, but the majority are exactly like Solomon says here, to let you have the opportunity 
to repent and to believe. Verse nine, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. He cares about the way he presents information. Great preachers care as much about information as they do communication, which is what Solomon's saying. It wasn't just truth. I wanted to find find a delightful way to tell it to people. So C.H. Spurgeon said this, you'll catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. What he's saying is learn to preach in a way that's like honey, not like vinegar, which is essentially what Solomon's saying. Then verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of the making of many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. Solomon was a preaching king. Who else is a preaching king? Right? So he's kind of hinting at that with the one shepherd. I am talking and sharing, knowing that my inspiration comes through the source of the good high King Jesus, the shepherd. So the words of the wise are like goads, excuse me. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. All of us will stand before our creator one day. When the bottom drops out and we fall through, we land at the throne room of God. And each of us will give an account for our lives. And it will be real simple. Either you'll trust in your righteousness, which is inadequate, or you'll trust in Jesus Christ's righteousness, which is always adequate. And that's it. Either your name is written in the book of life or your name is not written in the book of life. It's real simple. It's real simple to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus says, believe, and that's it. Believe I'm the king, believe I'm the savior, believe I'm the one that paid your price. Believe and you will be saved. So great book. Two points, then we'll do questions. Number one, if you're young, verse one, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before you can't get out of bed, you can't see, you can't eat, you can't hear, right? Do it then. I talked to a group of young men a little while back and I asked them this question. I said, if you knew a 40 year old man that went to bars, got drunk, chased women, had no job, lived in his parents' basement, what would you think of that 40 year old man? They said, he's a bum. I said, right. So why is it okay to do that when you're 18? And they're like, hmm, good point. It's not. Why why do that? Man, chase Jesus when you're young, right? When you've got vitality and energy, go for it then. I tell all my kids, please go on the mission field for a year. 
Do you know right now, the biggest hindrance to worldwide missions, you know what it is? American parents. They're the biggest hindrance to worldwide missions. You know why? No, get your career going first. No, go to college first. No, do all this stuff first. This is the biggest hindrance right now to worldwide missions because parents are not wanting their kids to go and do that. Man, I want my kids to go. If you have kids, encourage them, go. Man, trust God. They will grow more in one year on the mission field than in 10 years here in America. Send them, they'll go, man. We have wide open doors in Mexico right now, Africa and India. We could get you on a plane tomorrow to one of those places, but you're on the mission field. Be the most life changing thing you've done, 100%. Go for it when you're young. Parents, encourage your kids to go for it when they're young. Do it when you're young. Okay, when you're old. <laughs> I think there's two paths. Generalization, I realize that. There are two main paths that people go down as they age. The first, I just call it chronological snobbery. I saw this from C.S. Lewis. He uses it in a different way, but I like it. There's this idea that we kind of look back a couple of years at people in situations that we've already gone through and we're like, you're an idiot, right? I just found it with my, my daughter. So she's right now, she's in eighth grade and she's down in Santa Cruz at the middle school trip. And as they're getting ready to go, I'm like, hey, are you excited to go down? That's gonna be so awesome. We have such a great time. She said, no, dad, it's not gonna be that awesome. I'm like, why not? The sixth graders are coming. <laughs> like, sweetie, two years ago, you were a sixth grader, all excited about the trip. Are you kidding me? That's a snap of the fingers, right? Sixth graders, ugh. She's like, dad, you don't know them. They're so crazy. They're so like, they don't, they don't have it, man. They're out of control. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Right, already in the eighth grade, two years back. I can't believe it, but we do the same thing, right? We graduate from middle school, we go into high school, we're like, middle schoolers, idiots. You graduate from high school and you go to college, you're like, high schoolers, they're clueless morons, right? Then you graduate from college, you get a job, you're like, college, you don't know nothing, man. Wait till you have to get a job and pay your bills, pay back all your student loans. That's when you got it made. And some dude gets married and have some kids, career, that's so easy. Wait till you get a bunch of kids, man. That's where all your money goes. You gotta work your tail off just to feed them, man. They're like locusts. Wait till that comes for you, right? Then you got the empty nesters like, ah, that ain't nothing. Wait till your kids move out, man. What are you gonna do then? You lost everything. There's some 90-year-old dude in back going, you guys are all morons, <laughs> right? Chronological snobbery. And you can go that way and always kind of look back and be like, Ehh. I don't think that's the best. I think nine and 10 is the best. Besides being wise, the preacher, he's old, man. He, he writes chapter 12 because he knows this has happened to him. Taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Man, that's what, that's what the previous generation needs. These people that have gone through it a little bit and they've got some wisdom and they're willing to help. There's a lot of young families come on Sundays. 
And they're just going through stuff, man. They can be overwhelmed. They just went from two kids to three kids and they realize it's zone defense now. And there's always one getting away in the road. Like how in the world do you get out there? Man, get him back in here. One's gonna die. And it's like, ah, what do we do? They're just overwhelmed by it. They've got the same flu that's run through their family for three years straight. Just boom, 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 boom. We're like, are we ever going to be healthy? Is this ever gonna end? Like we get the plague going here. You get single people that, that, like they've been told weird stuff. Like, listen, honey, unless you find your contentment solely in God, you will never find a husband. I, I can't stand that. Is that true or not? Because I go to Genesis chapter two and the dude that's alone there, what does God say? Find your contentment in me first. Does he say that? What does he say? Bro, this is not good. You and alone and this thing, whole thing, this is not good, right? I don't buy that at all. The Bible says, if you find a wife, you find a good thing. What does find mean? You're looking, right? I, we, sell, we tell, and then these women get paralyzed and it's like, well, I shouldn't do anything. I just have to wait here and think holy thoughts and be completely content with Jesus before I get a husband. Good luck with that. I don't know anyone that's completely content with Jesus. Okay, you'll never get married. The species will be exter- you know, extinct and we'll all, get, no. Like they just need some, no, honey, calm down. It's okay. Wanting a husband is a great thing. Read 1 Corinthians 7, really read it through. If she wants to get married, let her get married. It's not saying first make her content in Jesus. And when she's completely content in Jesus, give her your permission to get married. No, she wants to get married. Yes, yeah, she she probably get married. Let her get married. Like just wisdom, simple wisdom, helping people out of really silly stuff. Like men need help. Like they look to their buddies to find out, hey, what should I take this girl on? What, what kind of date should I take her to? Take her to the tractor pulls, bro. Oh man, stupid, bro. Do not take her to the tractor pulls, right? This is Grant's past, but don't be that guy. <laughs> they just need some wisdom, just somebody to walk with them. Like it would be really awesome if some mature, godly people said, you know what? We're gonna host a home group. That doesn't mean you have to teach it. Just, hey, you guys come to my house. We'll fix you a great meal. And then you guys can talk. You, you get your own leader. You lead it. And we'll just sit here and listen and wait for that moronic statement and be like, oh, <clears throat> hold on. Um, I've been alive for 65 years. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Don't do that, all right? Do this instead. Like, it's so helpful. That's what, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Exactly what Solomon did. Man, I've lived some life. I've made some massive mistakes. I'll be honest with those mistakes. But I've also along the way picked up some wisdom. And with that wisdom, I'm not gonna be a snob me like, Ugh. I'm gonna be, how can I help? How can I sew back in? How can I walk with these people? That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? That's healthy. Titus actually commands it. The book of Titus says it's commanded. Men search out young, dumb men. They're not wicked, they're just dumb. Dumb can be healed. They'll help them. Dumb's healed with wisdom. Search them out, help them, lead them, guide them, right? Moses started at 80. He thought he was ready at 38. God said, no, you're not. You got 40 years to learn what you need to learn. God started him at 80. Caleb, 84 years old. You know what kept him young? Give me that mountain with that giant on it. He didn't retire. He didn't play golf. I have no problem with golf. Maybe he did play golf as well. He played golf and took on a giant on a mountain. Give me something to sink my teeth into. 
give me purpose. Give me a lane to run in. Give me people to sow back into. Give me a mountain with a giant on it. Kept them young and vital. If you're young, go for it. If you're old, go for it. It's the same message, right? Just different ways. And so Jesus. I'm actually grateful for the way age teaches us, humbles us. That the process of aging gives great opportunity to repent, to think, to contemplate, to understand our end and to come to know you. I pray for young and old alike. I pray as we've heard the summation of the matter to fear you and to keep your commandments. I ask that we would be a people that do those things, that we would be called God-fearing men and God-fearing women people that are so stable on the rock, unable to be pushed off or compromised, that people would say he's a God-fearer, she's a God-fearer. Pray for young, that they would be our future missionaries. I pray for old, that they would have great mission sowing into those that are younger, those that are needy, those that just need wisdom. May we be that kind of church, I pray. And I ask these things in your name, amen.